ever considered or looked into doing some more influencery type like business relationships? Like is I feel like in our industry, like are there other people who have similar followings like you on Instagram, for instance? No. Uh, <clears throat> I uh, I think Randy's brought a lot of people brought this up. And it's like, hey, isn't there a way to make money around your following, your brand? And the way I see it is I think it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense at face value, but mm-hmm. you start really thinking about it and it's just not worth it. Um, the market for influencer type activity in the dirt world is next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Like Caterpillar has an influencer program and they don't even get paid. Like they get a discounts on equipment. It's a, like, it's a fucking joke. Great. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. And I've, I've told, I know everybody a part of that program. And I yeah. told them like, guys, you have the leverage here. Just tell them no and tell them you need to get paid. This is a many, 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 many multi-billion dollar corporation. They should be able to pay something. They, they, they should be paying mm-hmm. you handsomely for what you do for them because you are, you're doing a lot for them. Um, and, and so that's where the market's at. And I just don't even want to deal with that. Like, I wonder if there's more like consumer, I don't want to say consumer grade goods, but maybe that's what it is. Is, you know, I just would, I would imagine that companies like Ariat or Carhartt or whatever, like it is that they, something? They do, but see the money, the money I could potentially make off of that is not worth the potential loss in credibility. Yeah. It's like you have you have a certain amount of capital to spend when it comes to credibility. Yeah, for and, sure. And like I, maybe before it becomes Aaron's hawking stuff on his correct. Instagram, we'll call it brand capital. Yeah, uh, may, maybe we've been talking about a lot of capital lately. <laughs> well, maybe that's Leadership. a term. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's just an easy. And this is how my mind works, so it's easy to 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 think of it like yeah. this. But brand capital, I have a certain amount of brand capital, so I can either go spend it selling Ariat boots and skid steers, or I can spend it selling. Build it leaders and build it online and our partners. Which to you has more value. Which is way yeah. more valuable to our mission than selling more boots. Mm-hmm. So that's how I put it is sure. Could I make some short-term capital, uh, short-term money right now using the brand? Absolutely. But I think if I do that, I jeopardize the potential value it can create for build it, our mission, our brand down the road. Especially because you're at Aaron Witt now on Instagram. Correct. I mean, there, there's um, probably the only like significant opportunity I see is speaking. For sure. And we've talked about that a little bit too. I, yeah. By next year, I could probably make... I mean, I'll get it to a point where I could probably make a majority of my salary in speaking fees next year. Does that kind of thing interest you or like excite you? or? It does because it's... <laughs> It helps me. A lot of my job is speaking and articulating thoughts and putting myself in those positions forces me to really think about how I speak and articulate my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it makes me very uncomfortable. Um, so it, it helps me become a better speaker, which helps yeah. me become a better leader for the company. And then it allows me to get in front of an audience and basically you know, preach our mission to people that wouldn't otherwise hear about it and know about it. Yeah that contributes to, you know, furthering our mission. Sure. So it's, it's directly correlated. Uh, 
and it gets me in front of people I probably wouldn't be in front of otherwise. Like in, uh, so this year for speaking, obviously it, it, there, there's not a whole lot going on yet, but I'm already being, I'm, I'm already kind of booking stuff in 2022. Yeah. And one of them, it's like the, you know, Georgia aggregate conference where it'll be all the executives at Martin Marietta and Vulcan and all of these old school people mm-hmm. that are not on social media, not listening to Dirt Talk, don't know who Buildwood is. Yeah. It gives me an opportunity to get in front of these people. <clears throat> and the really fun thing about speaking, especially at these conferences, the the conferences are dry. They are really, sure. really dry. And the bar is very low. And the speakers are very sure they have good information, but there's just a very low... It's like anything in the industry. It's like how storytelling was in the industry before we came along. There's just no standard there. Mm-hmm. So if I can come in and tell an, an exciting story in a way that resonates with these people, they're on board. It's funny. When you were talking about how that's all dry, I made me think about Marcus a little bit, Marcus Sheridan, because his message is great. They ask you answer is like a phenomenal approach. Yeah. But like it almost doesn't work in the way that they're selling it if he's not a rock star on stage. Like he's clearly so good at that that like he can go into probably a little bit more dry types of conferences and things like that and really, really, really stand out because his story is interesting and the way he puts it out there is like so engaging. And I, I think as when you're talking about yeah. it, I think there's a lot of similarities there for you and just the story of Buildwood in general, because it's sure there are like great facts and figures that are part of that sort of thing. But if you go in there and you're pumped up about what we're doing, like that's only going to be compelling. That's only going to be interesting to people who really care about the industry in the way that you do. Correct. And that, but that's the other thing. And that's the interesting thing about Marcus is, you know, he resonates with a certain audience and like, you know, some of our team really enjoyed it. Some of our team didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And I can understand why. Uh, and it's like Jocko, you know, some of our team freaking loves Jocko and really resonates with Jocko. And I think, I think anyone on our team, if they heard Jocko in person, went to a muster, they would understand what we see and what we're talking about and why we're so excited about Jocko. Yeah. But um, yeah, he just resonates with a certain audience. And then the other audience is you know, no matter how good the message is, they just don't necessarily resonate with it. So I think I'd be in the same boat. Um, These old school Martin Marietta guys probably would still not give two shits about me or think I'm just a little snot-nosed kid after they heard me talk. But um, I think I could could get our message in front of the right people in the right way that would create more change than we're doing right now. It's just another means like mm-hmm. even even Randy said it the other day, he's like, I'm surprised how many people don't know who Buildwood is. And that gets me excited because that's and the not opportunity. Frustrated. That's the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. That's the, if everybody knew who we were, okay, like good. We did we did it. Uh, but that's that's the real opportunity. How do we how do we reach all of those people? How do we get everybody to really know about us? And so we're doing all the social media. We're now doing the vlog, which I think will way expand mm-hmm. our reach, which I'm very excited about. We're doing the podcast and we're still not reaching the whole industry. So what are the other mediums we need to start thinking about 
to get out to even more people and speaking at big conferences is another frontier. Yeah. Well, and I think there has been some value in the fact that um, the conferences market has kind of dried up in the last, you know, totally 15, 16 months, whatever it's Mm -hmm. been now. Um, But that's like going to come back in full force, you know, is, is our industry a pretty conference heavy industry? Mm. I would assume not, but not really. And that's, Therein lies another opportunity. Yeah, we it's just like, wanna, do we start doing that? We want to do yeah. it ourselves. Yeah, we've talked about that. It's, you know, at the next Con Expo in, what, 2023, yeah. we're going to try to have a really big presence. And then maybe Correct. three years after that, we just host our own. Totally. Yeah, I I don't know. It's all about, I've, I've learned, it's all about money. It's all about money. Everything is about money. Money, 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 money. That's why we're here. Aaron's bottom line, well, everybody. But if you look at something that doesn't make sense, just look where the money is mm-hmm. and it'll start to make sense. Yeah. It'll start to make sense. <laughs> like that's what I've looked at with a lot of like the COVID restrictions, for example. It's like, well, why is this place open, but this place isn't open and they're the exact same thing? Well, you start looking at the money, you're like, okay, well, having this place, like this place contributes way more money to the people saying, what can and can't be open so that it just, it just makes financial sense. There's a financial incentive for them to keep it open. Um, and, and so it's the, it's the same thing with these, these conferences, like a con expo it's paid for by the equipment manufacturers. Mm -hmm. They will always have the say, they will always be dictating how that thing operates. Yeah. And they're not necessarily correct in a lot of ways. And they're, and, and in my opinion, they're, they're failing the industry right now. Because they could be, especially a company like Caterpillar with the influence they have, they could be the best spokesperson for the trades and for blue collar America and for the construction industry, but they're, they're failing because they're so concerned about their brand image and protecting their core mm-hmm. and, and not rocking the boat that uh, they, they just don't say anything in a time where we need people to be speaking up. Well, and you know, especially with Con Expo, but I, I think it's a broader thing. You would assume that the people who attend Con Expo would dictate what is there, how the next version of Con Expo serves the audience. No, and that doesn't seem to be the case at all. They're not the customer. Yeah. The customer is the manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the AGC is the same thing. They're run by the old time contractors. Yeah. The old time contractors have certain financial incentives to keep things as they are because it's very good to them. There's no reason to rock the boat. There's no reason. And so that's why they they say they're concerned about workforce development, but they're not really doing anything about it because there's just not a financial incentive to do anything. You know, they're about like, it. what if it jeopardizes what I'm already doing? And why would I mess with that? Exactly. Why? Why would I do that? Um, and it's frustrating to someone like me that can see it so clearly because I'm removed from that and I haven't been super successful doing something the same way for 40 years. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the opportunity. How do we become that neutral party, that spokesperson for the industry that's not owned by anybody? Mm-hmm. And that's why I haven't brought in business partners. That's why we haven't signed big deals with Caterpillar or brand deals or any, yeah. any that's, we, that's why we don't do advertising on Dirt Talk because I want to keep the message as pure as possible. I want to be the spokesperson for the industry. And I say spokesperson, build what is that person, not me. Mm-hmm. I'm an extension of it. I often think of um, that, that movie, The Social Network, which tells a very not true version of the birth of Facebook. 
but they they talk about like it it has to stay cool. And so when you talk about how we don't want to run ads on Dirt Talk or you know, you don't want to jeopardize your social brand capital on, you know, Instagram in order to sell boots or whatever cuz you would make some money from that surely. I think that it all goes into that same thing. It's like the more that we stick to like the principles of when we we didn't have as much access to the those other other short time short term abilities to make money, the more that we stick to the principles of, you know, here's why we started the business, here's our mission. I think the better that is for us just just as a business, not even talking about the the, the mission. But the better that it is for our business and then in, in turn the better it is for making the dirt what a better place is if we don't jeopardize you know, or make jeopardize our credibility like you said credibility earlier totally the, the more it's just like cool and something people want to be a part of the better it is for everybody yes and even if you have the best of intentions early on. Like yeah. I think the big social media companies, they had very good intentions early on. They're like, hey, we really create a community here for people yeah. to exchange ideas freely. And this is this has never been done in the history of the world. And this is going to make the world better. And now they're like, we can make a trillion dollars. And now it, it all is, yeah, you, you, you go public. Now the shareholders are the ones dictating what exactly happens. Wall Street's dictating what exactly happens. They're incentivized to just continue to beat expectations quarterly. How do you do that? You make more money. Yep. How do you make more money? You start gaming the system accordingly. And it, it's a slippery slope. You start mm-hmm. going down that road. You can never come back out of it. Yep. And, and, and a, I think a company like Facebook, they're just too far gone down that, down that road of they really only, they, they're, they're, and people may disagree with it, me on this, but they only care about money. Yeah. It is just about money, just about money. And they're trying to just maximize how much money they make because that increases their their share price and all the stakeholders are rewarded accordingly. You know, I think a lot of like large businesses, um, you know, maybe their initial, not business model, but maybe initial like reason to be a business has changed now that they've like grown to be so big. Like um, I think a, 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 an exam, a, a clear example is <clears throat> Chick-fil-A. Yeah. They're a logistics company who happens to sell food. Like they have dialed in how to get people through like their restaurants in the the drive-through, like for instance. I completely agree. But like they've also figured out how to make it really consistent across all of their restaurants all over America or whatever, that it's it's less about we believe in serving a, a quality meal to families, which is maybe how it started. But it sure as hell is not that right now. Well, you start selling tens of millions of chicken nuggets. You know, just the, the supply chain to get that many chicken nuggets across America. Yeah, like that's where that's where you're paying people a lot of money to fix those problems. Uh-huh. Like that. that's when, and you were kind of talking about if you look where the real money is, like that's where that stuff becomes clear. Because you don't make $100,000, and maybe you do at Chick-fil-A, but you don't make $100,000 being the manager of a Chick-fil-A restaurant. But you might be solving logistics problems for how they ship a billion chicken nuggets every month. Completely. I mean, it's like, you know, McDonald's is kind of the famous example of yeah. that. They're really a lot of times thought more of more of a real estate company than yeah. they are than they are a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're one of the biggest uh, owners of real estate in the entire world. 
second of the Catholic Church. I mean, it's wild. Uh, you don't think of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but that's that's really what where their value is in is, is just in real estate a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I've, I've been thinking about that lately. Is how big can we get? Is the question? Are you saying we're shooting to be the next McDonald's, the McDonald's of construction? <sighs> There's a lot of opportunity here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's crazy opportunity, but the, yeah, the question is just, just how big can it go before it starts to go in that direction? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know the answer to that, but you look at like a Patagonia, you know, it's still privately held. Yeah. It's a very large company with, you know, 10 figures in revenue, very profitable. Um, but they'll never, they can't really get a whole lot bigger than they really are. Mm-hmm. Without losing what they have, and, th- really and that's worth it to to them. And that's worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's not like that company doesn't make a lot of money because they do <laughs> an an absurd amount of money. Have you ever been to their Nashville like brick and mortar store? I didn't even know they had one until like two weeks ago. Okay, it has the weirdest hours. This is outside of the point, but it is ridiculous. It's legit open like one p.m. to five p.m. They just don't care. It just like, I don't even understand the point of it. Yeah. And yet it, like you're saying, it's just like, well, we just have it and we'll just have a store. And it's just, we want our business to look and feel the way it does. And no big deal. And I, I like that. They have total control over their business and people will say, you know, screw you Patagonia for your, your political beliefs or your environmental beliefs. And I think some of their environmental beliefs are super misguided when it comes to them trying to protest all these mines and this and that. Cause it's like, Oh wow, yeah, protesting oil and mines. Like what is all of your clothing made of and your entire logistics network? And oh yeah, so the trucks that drive clothes everywhere, like what do they use? Uh, do they just float across the the land or oh no, they drive on roads and how did that get built? Yeah, so how the roads get built. I, I I completely disagree with a lot of their environmental stands. I think it's noble and I think it's cool. Uh and but it's funny that people are like, yeah, screw you know, screw Patagonia, screw these guys. They don't care. Like they're like, yeah, this is this is who we are. If you don't like it, you don't have to buy these clothes. Like we we and we we would actually prefer it if you did not buy these clothes. Like if you really don't buy into what we have going on, we just just don't buy here. Mm-hmm. And that's a level of control that you have in a in a if if you've really been deliberate about the why from day one. Mm-hmm. And that is a testament to Avon Chenard, like the. The why for him was never let's go make a ton of money and let's go build this the biggest clothing company ever. The 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 why was let me just create a means to get around what I love climbing as much as possible. Then it morphed into this monster, and then the why became well maybe we can employ a lot of people and give them a lot of great lives and create great products that that we can then make money off of and, and improve the environment as a result and this and that. Yeah. And they've just maintained the integrity of what they've believed in from the beginning. Mm-hmm. All that said, Aaron and I are both wearing Patagonia t-shirts. This I'm a huge fan of their product. <laughs> they have phenomenal yeah. products because mm-hmm. they really think them through. Yep. So, sure, I disagree with some of their environment, but I agree with a lot of their environmental yeah. activism too. I think that's what's gets tough is the, I mean, well, we don't have to go into it too much, but the like culture of um, activism doesn't necessarily like allow for nuance in those conversations to where it's like, 
I can still like disagree with something and and have to like participate in its the fact that it exists anyway. Totally. You know, it's like I I can not love every single thing that happens in America and still live here and be still be okay with that. Completely. You know, and so I think the same thing with Patagonia. Like, haven't you said like they don't they wouldn't do business with us because we work with mining companies? Mm-hmm. And it's like to me like that seems like a weird hard stance sometimes because it's you know like you've said it's kind of misguided. Um, you know, when we had David Garofalo on the podcast on the Dirt Talk podcast like a six weeks ago, just like he was talking about like the negative um, perspectives on mines and just where some of that is is merited, but a lot of it's not, and it's just not true. Or maybe it was true fifty years ago, but it's not true now. You know, like there's just like a lot of space for almost maybe like re-education or like changing the narrative of those things. Totally. And yet we still are, you know, we couldn't do that kind of work with Patagonia because like, well, you work with mining companies, period. And like I read a, a, a book, Adam Grant's latest book, I forget what it's called, but it's about the concept of really just challenging ideas and rethinking ideas. Mm-hmm. It's something called like rethink or something or unthink or something along those it's lines. probably one of these stacks. It's, in, it's somewhere here. <laughs> Um, and it was <clears throat> like, it's very tempting. And we like, just psychologically, we like to categorize things as, as one or the other, mm-hmm. but in reality, most issues are not just one or the other, like, and, and even like the dual party system in United States politics, it's capitalizing on that, that, that human nature of wanting it to be binary. But the reality is it's like, you know, you know, gun control. It's like, so you're either for or against it. Well, there's a lot of gray area yeah. in between there. <laughs> like a lot of gray area yeah. in and between be, there. And it gets boiled down to <laughs> if you like them, you're one way. And if you don't like them, you're the other way. And it's like, cr- that's cr- not cr- really what it's about, but sure, that's yeah, where we are now. But the reality is you can own a gun and still be for gun control. Like, yeah. And there's nothing to say that that's wrong or uh, mining. You know, I'll, I'll pick something in, in our world, mining. I, I am a huge proponent of mining, but done responsibly. And there's a lot of unresponsible mining done. Mm-hmm. And that's why I want as much mining in the United States as we can get. Because I know in these other countries, they do not care about the environment. They do not care about human rights. They just care about making money, extracting material from the earth. That's it. Whereas in the United States, we do care about people. We will do it environmentally responsibly mm-hmm. now, nowadays. And yeah. not saying everybody's perfect, but I'm not for just blowing the tops off mountains, getting everything we can and leaving it as is. I, just I, burning it to the ground and correct. rolling. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not for that at all. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent of mining, but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm for irresponsible mining. I don't, I don't like irresponsible mining. Mm-hmm. I hate seeing mines that have not been reclaimed because I think that's super irresponsible. Well, and that's why it's cool when you talk about, when you go to like great mine sites, you're like, yeah, that mine was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was really like you, you use the word term like buttoned up. Um, those sorts of places are, those are not companies that when they get, or what's it called when like a mine's done? Uh, just like reclaimed. Reclaimed. Yeah. What, what makes them decide when it's over? You don't have to like go into it too much, but like when they're like, all right, moving on to another site or whatever. Is it just like it's um, tapped? So economics one. Um, in, in, in metals, primarily you have a, a, an ore body mm-hmm. and you're going after that ore body until, it, until it's uh, depleted. Yeah. Um, and then you might, you know, like P and J, 
you know, the, the mine shut down and then now they're going and, and remining what they mined before because now the price of gold's three times what yeah. it is. So now it's economical to mine it again. Whereas uh, with somebody, something like a North American coal, there's a lot of coal, but it's restricted. They're restricted to land who owns the land mm -hmm. because coal mining requires a lot of land and you're moving across someone else's land and someone could say, now we're, you don't, we don't we want don't you mining do here. Yeah. Uh, and permit. You're only permitted for a specific amount of land. And it's very hard to get additional permits now because mm -hmm. mining is is not a good thing in America these days. Yeah. So uh, you're you're restricted and and water. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different yeah possibilities. And so what I think is really cool is the like you were talking about NACO or P and J or really any other partner that we work with who participates in mining and is that that's part of their business. Those are the companies that are that take those re reclamation projects really seriously. Totally. You know, they're, yeah. they're definitely not the ones who would have a, a bad reputation among their industry peers. No, like, like North American Coal is almost more of an environmental company than they are a mining company. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, and like that sounds crazy, but it's, it's real. That's not an uncommon... Um, it's like Chick-fil-A. Like Pivot. Everything's like Chick Fil A, man. Well, it's it's like everybody thinks they're just a food company, but no, no, no. There's there's a lot, yeah, a lot of other stuff there. Um, my father-in-law was uh, president and CEO of what used to be a paper company, and they still do some paper, I guess. But like you know, in the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, it was paper, and it was called Gulf States Paper, which is pretty like well known in the business space in the southeast it eventually turned into they're making like pellets, which, you know, you could just burn for energy, but they became like a big ecological and forestry service because, you know, they had, they owned all this land all over the world that they were just getting, turning all into pulp to make paper. And now it was like, we've, they've turned these, um, I mean, just like thousands and thousands and millions of acres all over the world back into like viable environments ecological environments totally and he, he like led that charge but it, he said like that's not an uncommon thing for businesses who you know were working in like that space like you're talking about mining nacos now um what what was how do you describe them they're instead of a mining they're, they're more of well, a, like an environmental company. environmental company he's yeah. like that's like now pretty common with these large companies who've been around a really long time that they the ones who are good like change their model to make more sense for like the next wave of the world. Totally. I think that's cool. Anywho. This um, is a good pre-podcast pre discussion. Yeah. We've been, yeah, we just, we, we've just been starting to talk and we have decided to hit the record button and talk, I, just have it all on there. I think we that's a good way for edit us. It after the fact. Yeah. Um, I do have a couple of questions. Actually, a number of people sent me questions this morning, which I'm happy about. So, hello, everybody. Howdy. It's Aaron and Alex coming to you live for another edition of the Build It Internal Podcast. Build It Internal Podcast. Um, I mean, I legit maybe got like eight or nine questions this morning, whoa. which I'm very happy about. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The first question is from Jake Schmidtline. It's kind of meta and it broke my brain. So I don't know if I'm like frustrated with him or pleased. You used used meta before, I think in the Matt Biddle interview I listened to this morning. I don't know what that means. What does that um, mean? 
Okay, let me read this question to you and then you'll kind of know. Okay. So I had not received any questions for this podcast. And I was like, all right, what am I going to do? He said, what do you discuss on the internal podcast when nobody submits questions? Which is a question for the podcast. But then it just forces me to wrestle with what I do if I don't have a question for the podcast. Well, we, in fairness, we're 28 minutes into this podcast and we just read the first question. Yeah. So that's what we talk about. Apparently, Jake, so there you go. Everything you've listened to up to this point is, is, is there's your answer. Um, anyway, so Aaron meta, when I, you would use the term that's kind of meta, it would be like, if, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like well, vague or no, 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 no. It's like something about itself that describes itself almost like a snake eating its own tail. We look up definition, uh, making or showing awareness or reference to oneself or the activity that is taking place. Like if we had a podcast about podcasts, mm. that would be meta. If I wrote a song about writing a song. Understood. Okay. There you go. No morning. I, uh, we haven't had any internal podcast episodes without any questions. Yeah, because I figure out how to come up with stuff for us to talk about. Yeah. Um, no. At yeah. least I haven't noticed. I know Dan has thrown thrown us some softballs. He does, which I, I've I've been thankful about over yeah. the I think it just kind of gets the conversation going. Yeah. You know, it's anything he asks, he knows the answer to, but not everyone would, which yeah. I think is kind of like the point. Well I, I I think he asked a question one time about it was anonymous, but it was quote unquote anonymous. Yeah. Uh, but it was about the skid steer. Like, why did we buy a skid steer? Yeah, it's like, and and so I, I lay out the reasoning, and then I was talking to him later. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I was talking to him later about communication or something like that. Like, yeah, we we just we need to be doing better because, I mean, I feel like I've laid this out pretty clearly, and people were still asking me why I got a skid steer. So clearly, we're not doing a good enough job. He's like, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> and that it, it all made sense. Mm-hmm. He's he's asked me. I've probably asked the majority of what he sent. Um, every once in a while to be like, um, why is Alex so great? And why don't we pay him more money? I'm like, I'll take that one after. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll I'll schedule time for that one. Yeah. Archive that. (laughs) Um, next one's from Matt Biddle for the newer folks that haven't been around for a partner round table before. What is it? What's the purpose? Great question. Um, I feel like this is a good opportunity to plug Matt Biddle's internal podcast episode. It was good. I really enjoyed talking to him. Yep. I he gave out some some good pointers on <laughs> how to make your resume stand out. In case you want to get a job somewhere else, but especially if you want to get a job at Buildwit. Uh yeah. So if you're if you're looking to get a job at Buildwit or if you're applying elsewhere right now, highly recommend listening to that podcast. Yep. Because he had some good tips. Or just give him a call and say, Hey Matt, how do I how do I make my resume stand out? Or Call Matt and be like, hey, what are some good companies you think I should apply to? He might know the sure. answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was the latest uh, internal podcast episode. If he keeps hiring people, he's going to know plenty of places that are hiring. <laughs> <laughs> There's at least one position at that company. It's <laughs> uh, pretty funny to think about. So yeah, everybody, everywhere he's hired from is probably hiring. He double, he, He's double dipping. He, <laughs> he hires somebody here. And then he's like, well, I'm going to let somebody go so they can work at that company <laughs> yeah. and they're both, both companies know, will pay me. I think that's innovation. <laughs> uh, so the partner roundtable, it came about two years ago because we, we work with a lot of great, great people. I say this all the time. 
We have great humans inside of the business, but the people we do business with are are remarkable. And I, I learned that lesson. My first, I've talked about this internal podcast, this and that. I did business with some people that first year, year and a half that uh, I just didn't necessarily align with when it came to values. And and so I I got to a point after I, I touched the stove enough, figured out it was hot. I decided I really just want to do business with people I, I share a common set of values with that I respect that are just that are good human beings, good business people, good stewards, good examples of making the dirt world a better place. So that's the the lens in which we choose who we do business with a lot of times. And we've done a very good job at that. We have a lot of just wholesome people in this in this world. You know, James Milburn, Ron Keller, Stone Stevens, Herb, Herb Sargent. You, I could list every single one of them. And People ask me who's my favorite and I don't have a favorite. I just, I really love, love all of them in their own unique ways. And sure, some, you know, uh, some have quirks that that are annoying at some times. I mean, we have our quirks as a business and I have my quirks as a, as an individual that I'm sure are annoying, Uh, but they're all really great people. So the thing was, we knew how every, how great everybody was, but they didn't understand. They didn't really understand the bigger picture of what the partnership was and what our mission was and what the value of being a part of Build It was beyond just, beyond the services we were providing. So we thought, why don't we get everybody into the same room so they can meet one another, we can come together and we can shoot the poop. So that's what we did. Mm-hmm. We rented a small room in a hotel downtown Nashville. We invited all of our partners at the time. I think we had a group of 14 executives come in with no plan presented to them. Nothing promised whatsoever. They were- Please come. Yeah, just please come to Nashville. And they were all gracious enough to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, We, I think it was me, Chell, Angel, Chase, and Dan at the time. The whole company. It was the whole company mm-hmm. or most of the company. It was pretty small at that time. Uh, and we got everybody in the same room and, and met for two days and just talked about workforce development and equipment and finances and, and whatever came up in conversation we talked about. We didn't do a perfect job facilitating it or anything like that, but they seemed to really enjoy it. Um, it was a really good group. They went out you know, both nights and had a lot of fun with one another. And so that was the genesis of the partner meeting. Today, the partner meeting is, it's, it's a huge value add to doing business with us because we, I do believe, I've met a lot of people, I do believe we have the most forward-thinking group of contractors in the industry in one place. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of value for every one of these contractors to come to these meetings because they are around these like-minded people who are solving the same problems they are and potentially solving them in different ways in different parts of the country have a lot to bring to the table and they have a lot to bring to the table themselves because they're in that partnership. They're in that group for a reason too. They're in that room for a reason too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an opportunity for them to just meet other people that are solving the same problems they are. And then this next partner meeting, the real value is we're going to have speakers like Rich come in and, and talk to these guys and start introducing them to new ideas, which is a very exciting new evolution to the partner meetings. Randy Blunt, he's going to be facilitating the discussions, which will be a huge addition to the partner meetings uh, from a organizational standpoint. 
which I'm very excited about. And um, that's really it. It's just an opportunity for our partners to come together, start to understand who they all are, get value out of it. They can bring back to their businesses, learn something. And then most importantly for BuildWit, get bought in on our mission and understand that, oh, wow, this, this is way bigger than the photos and videos and website stuff I'm getting on a daily basis. This is, this is something I need to be a part of. This is a movement. This is much bigger than, than I was expecting. And yeah. the, the, Dan and I say this all the time. You can tell what partners have been to the partner meetings yeah. and who, who hasn't. Like Nick Frederick at Wittek hasn't been to a partner meeting. You can tell. You can tell. I'll just leave it at that. Everybody, you know, you know like a Don and James, they're bought in. They've been there since the beginning. And there's a few that have, that have been there all, all along. And it's, it's a different, it's just a different vibe because they can, they can see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of, um, they call them masterminds. There's, it's like a similar round table. Yeah. Where you, you can like buy in and be part of a club that kind of does something That's like that. That's what this is without the total bullshit. Yeah. I think masterminds are bullshit. Um, they're, yeah, I, I think they were a good thing and they're, I, that's just like a, a, a rebranding for what this has always gone on. Yeah. High level people have always got together. Mm-hmm. You get to a certain level and you're, you're fighting amongst yourselves when you're small, but you get bigger and bigger in business. You start to realize everybody at that level, they're kind of friends. Like the CEOs of all the big airlines, they meet up with one another. They're buddies. They're talking. Mm-hmm. They compete, but you get to that level, you know, you know everybody and you meet regularly. I mean, that's, that's what people have done since the beginning of time. It's just a, it's like one of those, you know, like entrepreneurship, cool thing, rebranding yeah. efforts, I think. But that's exactly what it is. I, I think for a lot of reasons, um, the round table is just like a way, 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 way better version of that. Um, you you put some really good language to it. I don't know if it was in the email to, to partners or I'm not sure, but you were talking about how like, you know, we're going to have Rich Devaney speaking at the round table in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and how you, know, you paid a certain money through Arate Syndicate to go see him speak and for our partners to come see him do basically the same thing for like hilariously cheaper while also getting like all these additional benefits plus getting to have like that, you know, all the, the leadership just gets to talk about their, you know, issues they're having with their business and help solve other people's, you know, like there's just like so much like value and benefit in those conversations that like, I think, I don't know. I I would imagine it's not hard to sell the leadership on coming to a second round table. It's not. And we're we're in we're in that unique position where we can bring in a Rich or a Jocko or a Marcus, and that's just this year. Give us a few more years. Who knows? We'll, we'll be able to get, you know, down the road, a lot of really really remarkable human beings involved in this. We're able to bring them in because they're bought in on our mission, and we can we can pay them, uh, and then just divide up the money amongst our partners. Mm-hmm. Whereas it doesn't make sense for Rich to go speak to Bemis. Or may not, or it may not, you know, or Jocko or something like that. But if we can give them access to these people, 
It's great. Yeah. Sweet. Very cool. Um, well, thanks for asking about the round table. And I just Matt. want to say one thing. I'm, I'm weird about BuildWit being all that involved in the round table yeah. because I want to I keep like that. it, I want to keep it pure. So I know, and I've, I've been saying this, you know, I know a lot of people want to come to the round table and talk with partners and this and that, but I'm very, I'm very wary of that because it's not a BuildWit event. It is a, you know, partner roundtable. It's not BuildWit. Yeah. And I don't, we've done a little bit with BuildWit at each one because it's a good opportunity from a, as authentic as a perspective as, as we can, but I just want to keep it pure. I just want it to be a partner roundtable. I don't want it to be BuildWit anything. Down the road, I don't, I, ideally we don't even brand it BuildWit. We don't even talk about BuildWit. Nothing about BuildWit's mentioned. I don't go hang out with the partners at night because I want them to just be, be with each other. I don't want to be there. Has there ever, has it crossed your mind that there could be a business opportunity in opening up a club, I don't want to say club, but like a group like this to people who aren't partners, but could pay to we're come gonna, to the round table? We're going to have bigger conferences down the road. That are just a much bigger version of this? Correct. Okay. But you you make it too big. And again, that that RT event was a good example because it was, much. it was just too much. There were, there were 200 people there. Uh, it, it was it, just too much. Yeah. So I think you start to lose it past, you know, 50 or so. It, it uh, yeah, it just, I don't know, gets out of hand. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, we got one more question and then we'll ribbity wrap it up. Cool. Um, uh, this is from James. With our rapid company growth and increasing value of products, we have had to increase our price tag to our partners in order to keep up. There's no end in sight to our company growth, so I'm curious at what hypothetical circumstances we would consider our price tag maxed out. What might that version of BuildWit look like? I don't, I don't think the price tag will be maxed out. I don't think there's a ceiling on it. Because we can always just provide more value? We can provide more value, I, I, I think. And, and with what, you know, we've, and, and, and the example we've been looking at is, is Echelon Front. Mm -hmm. They're insanely expensive. Yeah. You know, they, they, they charge, I think the FTX was $130,000 and they sent five people for three days. You can do the math on that. Yeah. Five people for three days, the costs are, you know, maybe 20 grand, maybe. Mm -hmm. So they're, that's a very, very healthy margin because they're delivering so much value. And it's such a remarkable product that you cannot live without. And that's the direction I want creative to trend in. I don't want to be doing commodity type work. I want to be doing work that's so valuable. They can't live without it and they will pay anything for it. Now that's a long-term thing. Sure. It's not going to happen tomorrow, which is why leaders came about <laughs> because we, re we recognized we need to keep growing, but we can't just keep raising prices indefinitely. Yeah. So how do we, how do we bridge that, that gap? And okay, we need to create other revenue streams that are more scalable faster than creative is. So that's why we created Leaders is it's additional an additional revenue stream that's, that's scalable, that's consistent, that can help us grow our business without putting undue pressure on our partners. That said, I just, I don't think there's a, there's a limit to the value we can deliver through creative either. Yeah. If you saw what these companies spend on things, it is insane. Just in general, not necessarily with us. It is insane. And so if we can deliver a really remarkable product that very effectively solves their problems, mm -hmm. which we're 
well on our way to doing it. We we have a lot of work to a lot of a lot of room, uh, a long ways to go, but we can get there. We will get there, and when we do get there, we'll be able to command a very large sum of money to yeah. make it happen. Because I mean, we don't have to. We don't have to. You don't have to feel bad about charging a lot of money if you're delivering a lot of value. And it doesn't matter what our costs are. If we're delivering a lot of value with a product that no one else can replicate, only we can deliver, we can charge whatever the hell we please. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, like a smart and safe way to go. I feel like with that approach, you never get to a point where you're putting like a lot of risk on that, what the new price tag is. If it's, you're still providing just hilarious amounts of value past whatever that cost is. Exactly. And that's why I've always, always, always shied away from hourly billing mm-hmm. because it is a trap. You are assigning a ceiling to your, t- you're, you're, you're limiting your value based on a unit of measure time. You're putting a ceiling on the value you can create. It's, it's, it's just, a, it's a mathematical fact. You will see very few people think lawyers and doctors are wealthy. They're well off. They're not, th- they're not wealthy. They're not the rich people because they bill by the hour. I watched my dad do this. (laughs) You bill by the hour. His hourly rate was insane. But he probably also has to do a lot of hour, a lot of work in those hours. And you're you're still constrained by hours. And you still only have a certain amount of hours in a given year. You cannot, regardless of the value you're creating, and that's what, you know, the the rich dads, that's what they would tell my tell my dad is you need to be charging based on how much you're saving people and the value you're creating, not based on the hourly hours. And he never figured that out. And because do you, that's- Do some attorneys do that? I don't even know if it's possible, yeah. but that makes a lot more sense. I mean, he would be saving these companies hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars. And so you'd be charging a lot of money, Yeah, but to save a billion dollars, that's a lot of value you're creating. And that's sure. what I want to create with, with creative. And, and so that's why I don't like charging by the hour. I, I like keeping things vague. And I want to give us the opportunity to keep pushing that ceiling and that value higher and higher and higher. And that's why I like the truly creative work. I know there's some of these kind of quote unquote, like daily tasks we need to take care of, but I want to get further and further away from those things because that's not what is really creating significant value. And that's some of that stuff. It can be replicated by another group out there. Yeah. Whereas if we're if we're doubling down on what we're truly experts at and what's no one could come replicate, that's where the value is. I like working in a company that's cool. <laughs> Dude does good stuff. Trying our best. Um, well, Aaron, I think that's a podcast, man. We rambled on probably long enough this morning. Well, thanks for listening us to us ramble, everybody. Thanks y'all for the questions. Um, we'll put some more questions on next week. Cheers. Thanks y'all.